0: So today is the Sunday before the beginning of Advent, and I wanted to take today uh, really as an introduction to the Advent season that's going to begin next Sunday. Remember, Advent is the celebration of Christ's coming. And in celebrating his first coming, we are reminded of his finished work, and we are also reminded of our ongoing work and his ongoing work of building his church of expanding his kingdom that ongoing work that will lead to his final coming that is yet to be so our text genesis chapter 3 verses 13 through 15 we're going to look specifically at what god told the serpent the promise that god made not just to the serpent but to mankind genesis 3:13 and the lord god said to the woman What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. Or crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this good news. Father, we thank you for your promises. That you keep your promise. Though much time may pass, let us be a people who always cling to, who always look to, who always trust in your promise because your word cannot fail. Your word will not fail. Though heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, not one tittle of God's word shall pass away. Father, we thank you for your great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ. Help us, by your grace, to be a people that walk in those promises, that believe in those promises, that demonstrate and manifest the hope given to us in those promises That we would be a witness, a light in this darkness, a witness to you and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so here in Genesis chapter 3, we have God declaring to the serpent the promise of the one who would come that would ultimately crush his head. And when we Read this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So there's enmity between the woman and the serpent. And between your seed, the seed of the serpent, and her seed. And my King James and New King James, that word seed is capitalized. And it is capitalized for good reason because that seed speaks of a person. It doesn't just speak of descendants, nameless and faceless descendants. It speaks of a particular person. And then God says, He uses the pronoun he, the personal pronoun he, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This seed will come one day, and this seed, he, the seed, will bruise your head So here in Genesis in this in these few short verses in particular in verse 15 we see there are two seeds that God speaks of in the garden Now remember we've talked about this before We like to in the world the world is very quick to say we're all children of God and that is not biblical We are not all children of God Humanity is, is all created in the image of God Every human being on the planet earth, past, present, and future, is created and bears the fingerprint of God, bears the image of God. But not every human being, past, present, and future, is actually the child of God. And we don't have to look very far in the scripture to see that God makes a very clear distinction here. It begins right here. When God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God said, I will put that enmity between you and the woman, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman who is Christ. There are those who are of the devil and there are those who are of Christ. We are either of the wicked one or we are of Christ or of God. There are no other categories. There's nothing in between. It's kind of like light or dark. There's light and there's dark. Uh, it's kind of like when you talk about pregnancy is a really a good, uh, a good uh, picture of this. You're either pregnant or you're not. Now, you might be in a certain stage of pregnancy or that. Child may be at a certain stage of development as it is maturing. But you're either pregnant or you're not. You're either alive or you're dead. And the Bible speaks of it this way in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's a command. So we're either of the wicked one or we are of Christ. There are no other categories. We are born of the flesh in our first birth, belonging to the wicked one. We are born again of the Spirit in a new birth, redeemed and belonging to God in Christ. So there are those who belong to Christ, given to Him by the Father before the foundation of the world, and there are those who are, or who belong to the devil, the wicked one. These are the fallen, unredeemed of humanity. The fallen who are born again, who by grace come to faith in Jesus Christ, though they are fallen, and every human is born fallen. Every human is born in sin. Original sin, total depravity is a reality for every human that comes into this world. But there is the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. And those that were given to Christ by the Father are redeemed by the blood of the Son. And they no longer can be claimed by the wicked one. They belong to Jesus. The children of God and the children of death and the devil are made manifest in this world. We have the parable of the field when that Jesus gave the parable of the kingdom when he says, There was an enemy who sowed tares into a, a farmer's field. And the, the, the servants of the farmer came and said, An enemy came overnight and sa- sowed tares into your field. What should we do? Should we go try to separate the tares? And Jesus said, No. Let them grow up together, and when the fruit is manifest, then it will be easy to separate the tares from the wheat. Or, as we've just gone through the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verses 10-12, through 12, John writes this, In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Now, do you see right there, John writes in verse 10, There are the children of God... And there are the children of the devil. Every human is not the child of God. Every human is created in the image of God. That's why human life is to be honored. That's why human life is to be held precious in the womb or outside the womb. All human life should be held precious because all human life is created in the image of God. But the scripture teaches That there are children of God and there are children of the devil. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Not as Cain who was of the wicked one. And murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because... His or Cain's works were evil, and his brother Abel's works were righteous. There is the enmity between the seed of the serpent, the seed of the devil, and the seed which would ultimately bring forth Christ. There is enmity between the two seeds, just as God spoke of it in the garden. Whether passive or aggressive... The children of the devil are always opposed to the children of God. It's not that they are always aggressively opposed. We just had Gitana here, who just recently came from Northeast Africa, Somalia, Kenya, Uganda, Somalia, a very dangerous place to be. They're training up pastors, sending pastors into Somalia, and, and it is not. In fact, it is, it is not unexpected. It is to be expected that if I go into Somalia preaching Jesus, I may lose my life. And Gatana has trained pastors who went into Somalia, and those Somalias, Somalis were martyred for their faith because they were preaching Christ. That we would call an aggressive opposition to the gospel. Here in America opposition we see from the world or from the children of the wicked one is becoming more aggressive, but very often it's passive. It's what people think of us. It's what they say about us behind our backs. It's what they post in passive-aggressive ways on social media. It's, It's how the world wants us to feel uncomfortable with our faith. Wants us to feel uncomfortable with our convictions. So uncomfortable that we will not actually speak the truth in love. So uncomfortable that we just keep our mouth shut. And we keep our church doors closed. And we just stay here amongst ourselves. And right now the world is content to let us do that. But you do see over the last two years that they will not remain content with that. Here even in America. As time goes on. Unless... God's people are granted repentance and humility so that God will indeed heal our land. Jesus indicated this reality of this enmity between the two seeds in his encounters with the Pharisees. They were not children of God. They were children of the devil. You might say, well, gee, Pastor Jeff, that sounds kind of harsh. Well, let me just read to you what Jesus said to them face to face. John eight forty four words of Jesus to the Pharisees. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, a.k.a. Cain and Abel, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Do you see the passive aggression in the garden with Eve and the serpent? What did the serpent want to happen to Eve and happen to Adam? He wanted them to die. That's what he wanted. Now He didn't, he didn't walk up there or slither up there and kill them, murder them the way Cain murdered Abel. In a very passive aggressive way, he deceived woman. He went a lawless route. He didn't go to the one he should have gone to, who was in charge, the man, who was the head of the woman. He went to the woman and circumvented the authority. And that man allowed that serpent to circumvent his authority. You say what you want about the woman being deceived. That man stood by and allowed that serpent to address his wife and deceive his wife and then partook of the sin himself when he knew better. But make no mistake that the desired end that the serpent wanted that day was the death of humanity. And that has not changed. So whether he does it by chopping heads off in the Middle East or whether he does it by by subtle deceit or intimidation Or making us believe that loving is never saying a word in opposition, is never standing up for the truth, never telling the truth. Don't make anyone feel uncomfortable because that's not loving. No, actually, it is the most loving thing you can do when you're speaking the truth to someone. If the truth makes them feel uncomfortable, then they have not embraced the truth. For some reason, they are resistant to the truth if the truth makes a person feel uncomfortable. And this is what Jesus did in his encounters with the Pharisees. He spoke the truth. And he told them truly who they were. You are children of the devil. You're not children of God. You think you're children of God because you're religious, because you're moralistic. But you're not children of God. You're children of the devil. When we're chosen by God, we become his children. We are either children of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ or We are children of the devil. And whether we are passively or aggressively opposing God and his truth, if we are not born of God, if we are not children of God, we are in opposition. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There are no shades of gray in Jesus. In him there is no variableness nor shadow of changing. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever and there are to be no shades of gray with us. Now, I didn't say we shouldn't be reasonable people, that we shouldn't be loving and listen and talk and have a back and forth, speaking the truth and love with people. I'm not saying that people are not allowed to believe what they want. They are. But we need to understand that if we truly love people, especially people who profess to be children of God, we have an obligation to tell them the truth. That what they are believing may not actually be true. They may be entangled with a lie, and the purpose of that lie is to ultimately destroy them, to kill them. And if they are not set free from that lie, they will ultimately be destroyed, eternally. Separated from God. And love is not allowing someone to remain in their lie. Protecting their feelings. Love is you speak the truth because you do love. Even running the risk that their their feelings may be hurt or they may be offended. That is exactly what Jesus did. And the world and too much of the church have this idea that Jesus was some hippie flower child running around and he let people believe that, what they want, do what they want. He never said anything to hurt anyone's feelings. And if that's the Jesus you believe in or people you know believe in, then they have never read the scripture and they do not know truly who Jesus is and why Jesus came. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth that promised seed. That phrase, her seed, in Genesis 3.15 is pointing to the incarnation of Christ. This is why we're, we're talking about this today, the Sunday before the onset of Advent. Advent is the celebration of his coming. Specifically, we think of it in terms of his first coming when Jesus was born. And we sing all the songs about the babe in the manger and the child who came. But the incarnation, uh, the, the advent or the coming of Christ, didn't. It, it's not just about him coming as a babe in a manger. He came as a babe in a manger because he's coming again one day in glory and in power, and he will rule this earth. And remember we talked about this last week, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that God's agenda is that heaven and earth will become one one day we're not going to be living floating on clouds in heaven for eternity we're going to be on this earth and heaven and earth are going to come together and we're going to rule and reign with christ on this earth it's what it's what jesus said to john in revelation it's the picture given to us it's why peter calls us a royal priesthood So the promise, the promise of the coming seed was made. The birth of Jesus the Christ, the Son of Mary, the Son of God, is the fulfillment in time of God's promised seed that would come and crush the head of the serpent. The promise of the coming seed was made in the garden in the beginning. In keeping that promise some 2,000 years later, God called Abram from Ur of the Chaldees to go forth and become Abraham, the father of a multitude. God made promises to Abraham and his seed, the same seed spoken of in the garden. How do we know that? Because the best interpretation of the Bible is the Bible. Galatians 3:16 Paul writes now to Abraham and his seed again if you've got a King James or a New King James and I'm not sure if the ESV has it capitalized or not but it's capitalized there because that word seed is referring to Christ now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made he does not say to seeds little s plural as of many but as of one Quote, and to your seed, who is Christ? Who is the seed? Christ is the seed. Who was the seed that was promised to come to crush the head? It was Christ. Where and who are all the promises fulfilled in? They are fulfilled in Christ. Yes, they were given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and and the twelve tribes. And to all the descendants, and to all the seed coming later. But I want you to understand... The promises are fulfilled and experienced in one place, in one person only, and that is in Christ. And this is why Paul says, the promise was not made to seeds as in plural. It was made to the seed, the one seed, who is Christ. Paul informs us who that seed is. And to your seed, who is Christ. Christ is that promised seed. And the one in whom all the promises of God are brought to fulfillment. It is in Christ alone that we experience the promises of God. The promise of the coming seed was made in the garden in the beginning. God affirmed that promise through the history of his people. Until the fullness of time had been reached. When that promised seed would come forth. That is what the Apostle Paul refers to when he writes in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And in sending forth his Son to crush the head of the serpent, Christ would redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons. And when that transpires, when that transaction takes place, we go from being just humans who bear the image of God to actually becoming children of God. When God sent His Son, He sent Him, and what appeared was weakness. God the seed first manifests in weakness, not in strength. If you are going to sin someone to overcome and to conquer the world, I would venture to say that there are few people that I know of who would send a baby. Send an army. Someone big, powerful, numerous maybe. We're talking conquering the world. But what does God do? God sends a baby. He sends a child. That promised seed, when it was manifest in its first coming, was not manifest in strength, it was manifest in weakness. There was nothing that looked strong about a baby laying in a borrowed manger, in a borrowed stable, because there was no room for it in the end, They didn't have enough regard for this king of kings and lord of lords to even asked someone to leave their hotel room so that he could have a proper bed to be born in. He was just another baby of some nameless, faceless Jewish girl. There's lots of them out there. Sorry, there's no room for you in the inn. When the time had come and God did not send forth His seed, and God did send forth His seed to crush the head of the serpent, to overcome the world... God did not send an army, He sent a child. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I want you to pay attention to the language of the prophet here. And the government will be upon His shoulder, and His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 Of the increase, you should highlight that in your Bible, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I love that. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. There's not an end here. Even forever forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this man is not going to perform this God is going to perform this he did not manifest in strength but in weakness what appeared weak was indeed so strong and so mighty it conquered sin and death in all the world it just looked weak to the world but there was nothing weak about Jesus In his birth or in his death. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. This is what God promised in Genesis 3.15. This is what he promised the serpent. I will send the seed and he will destroy you one day. And this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus did exactly. God has shown us how he works. He works in a way that is counterintuitive to fallen man. The God of glory and strength did partake of the weakness of flesh and blood. God uses the weak to accomplish the mighty. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God in righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In the fullness of time when God sent forth his son, very few were expecting who showed up. In Luke's account, in Luke's gospel account, when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to have him dedicated, we meet two characters, Anna and Simeon, They were looking. They had eyes to see. But everybody else walking through that temple complex walked right by the King of Glory, right by the Messiah, right by the Savior, and gave Him not even a thought. From His birth to His death, Jesus Christ was the Mighty One of Israel, the promised and the powerful head-crushing seed who chose to veil himself in meekness and humility. His obedience to death was seen as weakness. It was so counterintuitive to the Messiah, so many had come to expect that Christ, the true Messiah, was rejected as a fraud. And just as Jesus was misunderstood and rejected, so his people are in this world. Don't Worry if you are misunderstood or rejected by the world. You are supposed to be, if you are living and walking just as he walked. If you're walking in the light as he walked in the light, then sooner or later the world is going to reject you. It can't help it. And that's exactly what Jesus promised his disciples. And it's not that, and we should never go out looking for a fight. We should just go out as messengers of the gospel. The fight will find us. The opposition will find us. What was passive will become aggressive toward us if we are actually doing what Jesus commanded us to do. And that's exactly what Jesus told his disciples to expect. And we are his disciples. We're just his disciples 2,000 years later from the time he actually spoke that to those men on the ground and those women on the ground. Those things counted as foolish and weak and no value. Those people and things that the world counts as nothing are the very ones that God is using to accomplish His purpose, to see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth. God sent forth His promised seed as a child to grow up and be crucified. This reminds us that God does His mightiest works through the seemingly weakest and most vulnerable of ways. Therefore, listen Christian, when you are weak, rejoice. For he is strong. For his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's what the word of God teaches us. The seed fulfilled the promise. God promised that the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent and God kept his promise. This is why we celebrate Advent every year. This is why we need to teach our children that Christmas, God loves Santa Claus. I'm going to have a Christmas tree. And we're going to have presents under the tree. All of that is fine and good. But make sure your children know that the reason we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus came. He is the greatest gift ever to be given. And he was given to us freely by God the Father. God promised the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent. 1 John 3.8 For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The word became flesh. The seed came forth. God did what he promised. He destroyed the work of the devil. He did indeed crush the head of the serpent and redeem the people of God from sin and from death Through the work of the cross. John 12, 31 and 33. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He said these words. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world. Will be cast out. And if I. If I am lifted up from the earth. Will draw all peoples to myself. This he said. Signifying by what death he would die. The death of Jesus on the cross. Appeared to many to most of the spectators then, as the end of the hoped-for promise instead of its fulfillment. If they believe there was any promise in Jesus, for most of the people there, if not all of them that day, and we can say that because we see the reaction of the apostles after the, the crucifixion of Jesus, they didn't seem like a really hopeful bunch of guys and gals. They seemed pretty scared and pretty uncertain of their future. When in reality there was no uncertainty about their future. Because God held their future in his hands. But the death of Jesus appeared to many to be the end of the hoped for promise. Instead of its fulfillment. As the child Jesus was overlooked by so many in his birth. The death of Jesus on the cross seemed for many to be the tragic end to a failed life. Except for those who have eyes to see. And ears to hear. That is still true today. When the gospel goes forth, there are many who just simply think if Jesus was real, it's just a tragic end to a failed life, if he was even a real guy. In reality, Jesus has done exactly what he declared before he went to the cross. He has judged this world and found it guilty. He has cast out the ruler of this world and he has drawn all peoples to himself. He has saved his people from their sin and this is what he came to do. We have no reason to fear that serpent, the devil, for he is a defeated foe. Christ, the promised seed, has come and he has fulfilled his promise and he is building his church and his promise now is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it the promise is still being fulfilled god has and is still crushing the head of the serpent under our feet listen to the words of the apostle paul in romans chapter 16 verse 20 at the end of this letter to the romans paul writes these words and the god of peace will crush satan under your feet shortly the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you amen Okay, pastor, which is it? Has he crushed it or is he yet to crush it? Yes. Yes, absolutely. This statement to the church in Rome in Paul's day did not mean that Satan had not been crushed yet, but that God was continuing to crush him. The victory that Christ won for us is an ongoing victory. At the cross, just as Jesus said, it is finished, but it is not over. You do realize the difference. The warfare and the work continues, even though the victory has already been won for us in Christ. Our destiny, our end is not uncertain. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. Therefore, we can have absolute confidence, even when we say, I am not certain what's going to happen tomorrow in my situation, in my circumstance. You may not know, but God does. And we are called to trust Him. And He has shown us throughout His Word that we have every reason to trust Him as we continue to advance His kingdom, as we continue to disciple the nations, as we will continue to see His kingdom come. As we continue that work, we will continue to see His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The God of peace will continue to crush Satan under our feet. That glorious victory and work will not end until Christ has finally come in all of his strength and all of his glory, and then and only then will the last enemy be put under foot. Corinthians fifteen twenty six and twenty seven, the apostle Paul writes The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, has, past tense, has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. The last enemy is death. How do we know death has not been put underfoot yet? Well, things are still dying around us. But what has God said about his children? It is appointed unto man to die once and in the judgment. And in the judgment for his children, guess what? We will not be judged for. We will not be judged for our sin because Jesus took our sin. We will not experience the wrath of God because Jesus took our wrath. Therefore, even in death, we are to not fear. Perfect love has cast out fear, and this love has been perfected, that even in the day of judgment we have confidence, because as he is, so are we in this world. In this week's introduction to Advent, I want us to be mindful of what his coming, those millennia past, means for our present day. I also want you to to understand what it means for His future and final coming that is yet to occur. Each week we come to the Lord's table, and each week we proclaim His body and we proclaim His blood. And Paul writes that when we do this in 1 Corinthians... 11.26, Paul writes these words. He says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. In remembering and proclaiming His coming, His birth, His death, His resurrection, we proclaim the future coming, the final coming, the day when the last enemy, the final enemy, will be put underfoot. That is death. And we proclaim each week the body and the blood of Jesus who conquered death. And if we are in him, then we too have conquered death. Even though it may touch us, it can never hold us. And it can never keep us. For we belong to Jesus. Amen. So let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. Let us prepare to proclaim his coming, past and future. If you count yourself a member of His covenant people, you are trusting in Jesus. You are welcome to this table. You don't have to be a member of this local body. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the universal body of Christ, past, present, and future, that we are all a part of in Jesus Christ. And if you are a part of that covenant people, then come, welcome to the table, and welcome to Jesus Let us all stand. You're charged today as the body of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is how Christ is present at His table each and every week because we are His body. We are the carriers of His presence in the world. We are charged to live knowing Christ has come. The promised seed was sent forth and He did indeed crush the head of the serpent The promised seed has come, and God has and will continue to crush His head under our feet. As God's people, let us live as a people who have been redeemed and who are victorious over all of our enemies. Even when we walk through the valley of shadow, even when we find ourselves staring death in the face, even when our sight tells us different, let us always be a people who walk by faith and not by sight, Knowing our enemy has been crushed under the feet of our Savior, let us walk knowing that one day we shall see death finally put underfoot and it shall be no more. We are charged to know and so to live as the children of light. We have been made to be in Jesus Christ. By grace, you are saved through faith in him. Let us live knowing our Savior has come and that he will one day come again in glory. And may we hear the words, enter in my good and faithful servant. And that day we meet him and see him face to face.